Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. So we're in the midst of a series on Philippians called Indestructible Joy. And we are spending our second week in Philippians chapter 2. Now, maybe you might have read it before. Uh, Maybe you might know it quite well, or maybe it's the first time that you're actually encountering this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And last week, previously on City Lights, we talked about um, signs of transformation, that the signs that we have encountered Jesus, the signs that we have met with Him, the signs that we have encountered God Himself are not just personal, not just things about me, but they are things about we. They are things that impact not just my own life, but impact our relationships together. It's saying that if we are unified with Christ, then we should be unified with others. If we have a love and a sense of belonging to Christ, we should be, have that same love and sense of belonging to each other. And as part of that, and this is what I spoke about last week, our motives matter. Our intrinsic motivators. We cannot be selfish. Why? Why can't we be selfish? Why does Jesus need to transform our motives? He needs to do that because if we are selfish, we cannot love. We are focused on ourselves. We cannot extend love and kindness and grace to those people. And so last week, uh, we had this statement, we cannot build a church that looks, acts, or sounds like Jesus on selfish motives. Now, the Apostle Paul was saying this is our goal, but he didn't expect it to be automatic or effortless. He expected us to be in that, uh, doing the things that we need to do, the practices, going beyond ourselves in order to achieve this goal. And this was the start of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do you see how the, the connection of because of our interactions with Jesus, that should make us come together in love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. Okay, this is a a fantastic invitation. Let's go on and where we're going on today to verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's an invitation to be like Christ. And here's the statement that Christ defines the Christian. Christ defines the Christian, not in an abstract way, but in a deeply personal way. 
But let me tell you what happens when we take the Christ out of Christian. What do we have? We have Ian. Do you know any Ians? Growing up, one of my best friends, his stepdad's name was Ian. And he, he, was, a, he was a nice guy. Um, at that time, I was probably, when I used to hang out with, with my friend, I used to go to his house. At that time, I was probably about 17, uh, driving a car. So we'd go to Blockbuster Video. Anyone remember Blockbuster Video? Okay, I'm uh, showing the signs of my age. And we, it was still VHS, baby. It was like, all right. So we would spend that half an hour in the video store looking at all the different videos, right? Seeing, desperately hoping that someone would come through the door. You'd hear the sound of them returning the shoot and the new releases of which there were a hundred empty boxes would come in. And so we'd take this video home uh, to, to, to my, back to my friend's house and we'd watch it. And his stepdad, Ian, nice guy, he had a certain volume requirement, all right? Because it's a pretty small house and his, his bedroom there, we'd probably get, it was, was next, next to the TV and the lounge room. And so he'd often come out sometimes in his boxes and he'd say, I hope this is not a Rudy Tooty nudie movie, which it wasn't. That's what he used to come out and he used to come and check the volume. Now, today I'm not picking on Ian's. You probably, I know a couple of good, good ones, and he was a good one. But what I am saying is that it is Christ, us in Christ, and Christ in us that defines us and transforms us. It is Christ in you and you in Christ, which is going to make the difference. And if you don't have Christ, all you have is yourself. All we have is just us. And Christ wants to radically define us. And there are two questions that can help us. And one, the first question is, do we know Jesus? Uh, for a, Yes, we do. Amen. I love that. Matthew chapter 7, 22 says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. It's not just about doing the stuff. It's about knowing and being in relationship, having Christ in us and being in Christ. And the second question is this, do we love like Jesus? Jesus' letter to the Ephesians church in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. We must be defined by our knowledge of Jesus and the way that we act loving Jesus and loving others in the way that Jesus loves us. And Christ defines the Christian. Do you know what else? Christ describes the church. The op- and Colossians 1.18 says this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. 
We must be connected to the head. The opposite of that is where we have activity without integrity. We're going through the motions. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but we're not connected to Jesus. And Christ describes the church. Now, growing up before um, our family moved to Thailand, we lived in Everton Park and we had uh, this pretty big block of land that we were renting. We had a chicken coop and uh, we had uh, guinea pigs. And we also, true story, we also had a chicken that grew up as a guinea pig, which we had for Sunday roast. Okay. Okay. My parents are from the country. And so my dad, as part of what he was doing at that time, he used to deliver baby chickens. One of them escaped and we sent it in, we raised it and it it thought it was a guinea pig. And that became a very healthy and tasty and delicious chicken. Now this little vegan warning here, viewer warning, contains content that may offend some vegans. But I remember this, I didn't get any joy from it, but I remember being country people, as a kid, dad taking it out the back. Have you ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Do you know that in the church, we can have all kinds of activity. We can be running all over the place, but without connection to Jesus. And so Christ defines the Christian and Christ describes the church. And it's so important that everything that we do centers on Christ. And the question that we asked last week that is relevant, are we a church that looks, acts, and sounds like Jesus? Because if Christ defines the Christian and Christ describes the church, then what are the characters and qualities and the nature of God that describes Christ? And here we see them in Philippians chapter 2. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, remember that, in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself strong so he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself becoming obedient to death even death on a cross the title of my message this morning is think like the servant. Think like the servant. Let's pray. God, as we come to you, we come in honor and we come wanting to be defined and described by you. And Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you want to do. We open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus radically redefines leadership and privilege and authority. And I'll give you this headline, 
And I'll, I'll give you kind of start at the end. And the headline is this, service is a who before it is a do. Service is not just something that we do. Service is something that we are. We are servants because Jesus is a servant. He just, we're going to unpack this. He wasn't just a servant. He just didn't do it as a way to get things done. But we understand from this passage that the very nature and character of God is love. And you can't love someone without serving them. And God is love. The beauty of the Trinity, three in one, is that God just didn't invent love as an idea. He is actually by his nature, the fact that God is relationship, God is community, God is communion, is how he lives. And it is actually fundamental to the way that he operates and the way that he deals with humanity. It is in the nature and character of God because God is not just a me, God is a we. So service is a who before it is a do. And we must embrace the mindset and thought patterns of Jesus. And so let's unpack this together. In verse 6, it said he did not consider equality with God, something he used to his own advantage, or the ESV says, did not account count equality something to be grasped. Equality with God is something that is inherent to Christ's pre-existence. But he did not consider the God-likeness to consist of grasping or seizing or grasping or using to his own advantage. Because if he did, he would be marked by selfishness, and that is not his nature. His nature is not selfishness. His nature is love. Now, for us to think like the servant, we need to resist what an author called Mulholland calls an objectivizing, informational, functional culture. I'm going to define those for you, but it's very important. Now, we are all trained in this. An objectivizing, informational, functional culture will cause us to be graspers, to be manipulators, and to be controllers. Now, let me unpack this term of objectivizing culture. And I think as I start to talk about it, you will probably see that around us. And you would also see the tendencies that we all have within us to be part of this culture. An objectivizing culture is one that views the world primarily as an object out there to be grasped and controlled for our own purposes. Okay, we are the subjects in life, and it's our job to arrange the objects and use them to impose our will on the world. Does that start to make a little bit of sense? The Quaker writer Parker Palmer describes it well. He says, we are a well-educated people who have been schooled in a way of knowing that treats the world as an object 
to be dissected and manipulated, a way of knowing that gives us power over the world, we have used our knowledge to rearrange the world to satisfy our drive for power, distorting and deranging life rather than loving it for the gift it is. Now, I want to say this morning, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the Christian and this is not the church because graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God and manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God and controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. So that's an objectivizing culture. The second, an informational functional culture is when we seek to possess information, whether in the form of knowledge or in the form of techniques, in order that we might function more effectively to bring about the results we desire in the circumstances of our lives. So we seek to be totally and completely in control. But there's an even deeper dimension here. Of our need to control. We see control as essential to the meaning, value, and purpose of our being. That much of the compulsive workaholism of our activities serve to authenticate ourselves as persons to ourselves and others to prove that we have value, meaning, and purpose in the world. So to put simply, sometimes we use our doing to determine our being. And sometimes, unconsciously, we seek to use service as a tool for us to get what we want. Do you understand that tension sometimes? That we don't embrace the nature of service, but we use service and the techniques of service in our relationships, in our workplaces, and sometimes even in the church. Sometimes we use service to get what we want, rather than being motivated by a heart that loves and serves others. And Jesus calls us to think like him about service. And the servant, that is Jesus, capital S, redefines service as a selfless gift of love. Because God is not an acquisitive being. God is not grasping. God is not seizing. God is self-giving for others, and that is his nature. So here's a couple of questions to reflect. Have you ever used service to get what you want? I would say it's not service. Have you ever been disappointed or frustrated when it didn't work? Have you ever had times when it did work, but it diminished and devalued people around you. This is the challenge when we don't embrace service as a selfless gift of love. The servant also does this. The servant redefines privilege. Now, the idea and the concept of privilege is a massive concept in our culture. Would you agree? It's a massive concept. It's a massive discussion point. But let me give you insight into how Jesus thinks about privilege and how we should think about privilege. 
Let me finish this sentence. This is a a reading from the Bible book of John. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he finished the sentence. Let's change it a little bit. Andrew had all the power, all the resources and relationships. So he, Ben had all the power, all the resources, all the relationships. So he went on a holiday. You can put your name there. If you had all the power, all the resources, all the relationship, what would you do? But it says here, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In Jewish teaching at that time, it said that you couldn't even make a slave wash somebody's feet. But Jesus, recognizing the power, recognizing the authority, recognizing his destiny, he took all that privilege and what he did is he used that opportunity to serve people that should have been serving him. Isn't this amazing? He radically redefines privilege. In Philippians chapter 2, the first part of verse 7, it says, And he gave up his divine privileges. Matthew chapter 20 tells the story of an ugly competitive situation where people are using proximity for personal privilege. His disciples, these same disciples. In Matthew 20, 25, it says, But Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of this world lorded over their people, And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is saying, If you want to use privilege for your own advantage, if you want to arrange things in your life, if you want to seize power and grasp power to make a better life for yourself, he says, that's not us. That's not the kingdom. Because Jesus himself is the one that defines and describes. And the sooner that we come back to that understanding and that knowledge And the sooner that we reject the culture of the world and embrace the culture of Christ, the more free we will be, the more selfless we will be, and the more full of love our community will be. And Jesus says to his disciples, that's not us. We don't grasp, we serve. We don't use power for ourselves, but we empower others. I want to encourage you that as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, we never graduate from serving. We never, it is not like a, you've, you've achieved that level. It's, that's never the case. 
Serving is not a phase, but it's a lifestyle. And we don't use power for ourselves. We empower others. Do you know what the Apostle Paul defines privilege as? Have you ever noticed this in your reading? The Apostle Paul defines privilege in these ways. Philippians 1.29, it says this, For you have not you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. So as a Jesus follower, I have two privileges. The privilege of tr- trusting Jesus, being united with Jesus, and the privilege of suffering for Christ. What does that mean? It means that I have to be comfortable with the consequences of loving selflessly. Are you comfortable with the consequences of loving selflessly? Are you comfortable with giving to somebody who can't repay you? Are you comfortable with seeing service as part of your nature and that it is not a way to climb any ladder, any relationship ladder, any corporate ladder, any ladder within church or ministry? Service is not a tool for us to get what we want. Service is an opportunity and a privilege for us to express the trust, our trust in Jesus. I'm going to invite the the band back. Verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the heaven. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do we see? We see two things here. The things are this. Service reveals Jesus and it glorifies God. Do you know that when you and I, both individually and corporately, in a Christian community, in a church, when we say we are going to be like Jesus, the nature and character of Jesus, as we choose to do that by giving of ourselves, last week we talked about pouring ourselves out for others. When we do that, people are going to see Jesus and God is going to be glorified. And guess what? God loves that. God blesses that. God honors that. And I believe that it's so sobering for us to have the opportunity and the invitation to really let people see Jesus. How are they going to see Jesus? How are people going to see Jesus in us and in our church when we begin to love and give and serve selflessly? When we take the hits for that, when we give and don't don't get what we think we should, When we serve and nobody notices. Because the other thing is true. The last thing, the service reminds us that God 
is our reward and rewarder. God is the one. Even this song that we're going to sing together. God is the one that sees us. God is the one that rewards us sometimes now, but in eternity. And that is what we are invited to. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.